Would you remain standing at every, all of our campuses, wherever you are, as we go to the text from which my assignment comes today, Genesis chapter number three. If you need help finding the book of Genesis, you're in spiritual trouble. It means beginnings, so that's a hint. It's the first book in the Bible. Genesis chapter number three, beginning in verse one. The Bible says, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest ye die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you won't surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate it and she gave it to her husband and he ate it. Verse 7, which is not on the screen, I don't believe, says, Then the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Incidentally, notice that when they ate of the forbidden fruit, their eyes were opened to their sin. By the way, do you know how your eyes become open to what belongs to you through your Savior, Jesus Christ? It's when you eat of communion. See, when they ate in the garden, their eyes were open to sin. That was the fall of man. When you partake of communion, your eyes are open to what Jesus did. That's the elevation that God wants to give to us. God has always got a solution for everything that the devil brings into your life. Amen? So when you look at communion, when you receive communion, understand that you're doing something that, that should open your eyes to what's available to you in Jesus Christ. Verse number 22 says, Then the Lord said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground which he was taken from. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. You know, online dating right now is all the rage. It's how people meet people these days. No longer do somebody have to work up the nerve to walk up to somebody. You just have to work up the nerve to send an email or send a, you know, this or that or tell them you're interested. And we have all sorts of online dating sites. We have match.com, mysinglefriend.com, eHarmony. You've heard of them. But maybe you haven't heard of, they got J-Date. That's if you're Jewish. They got Christian Connection. That's if you're Christian. They got Muddy Matches. That's if you're into farming. You find your person that's also into farming and you meet up there. They got telegraph dating. That's for people over 40. They got love struck. That's if you want to uh, find love over lunch. They got Shaddai. I thought that was Pentecostal, but it's Indian. Seriously. They got Saga Connection. That's if you're over 50. They got Love Arts. That's if you're into the arts. They got Bumble. That's where women have to make the first contact, Right? By the way, I saw you all writing them things down right there. I said, everybody writing them things down, right? And then you got Tinder, and that's where it all started, right? Tinder started with the whole swipe to the right. But today I don't want to talk to you about swiping to the right. I want to talk to you about something that I think is, is more important than swiping to the right, and that's swiping to the left. How do you know when to uh, cut off access into your life with certain, with, uh, when it comes to certain people? How do you know which people to allow in and which people that you need to block out because everybody needs to know the answer to that question. So let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you today. We thank you for your word and we thank you for your anointing. Speak to the hearts of your people just like they need to hear it. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody sit. You may be seated. As Christians, sometimes we feel like we have to swipe right when it comes to every relationship in our life. We, we think that we have to allow every single person who wants entrance into our life to come into our life. We somehow have reason that this is our obligation to let everybody in. And uh, after all, we, we say to ourselves, isn't that what Jesus would do? 
after all, aren't we supposed to be lights to a lost world and, and help those who don't know Jesus to come to Jesus? And after all, we say nobody is beyond the reach of Jesus. And so we think that that means that our life should be full access to everybody who wants to participate in our lives. And although there is truth in some of what I said, there is a balance to swiping right. And that balance is swiping left. There is something to be said for allowing people in, but there's also something to be said for keeping people out. And sometimes the smartest thing that we can do in life is to keep people out of our lives. And even Jesus gave us permission. Even Jesus told us that it's okay to swipe left some of the time. For instance, in Matthew chapter number 10, verse number 14, Jesus said, and whoever will not receive you, or hear your words when you depart from that house or that city. Shake the dust off of your feet. Translation, swipe left. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 33. Listen to what the Bible says. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. What is God trying to teach us? Sometimes in life, it is totally appropriate and totally necessary to swipe to the left. How about this scripture? Romans chapter 16. Verse number 17 and verse number 18 says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and watch this and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching that you have learned and keep away from them. Notice what Jesus is telling us in his word. He's saying if there's somebody that is causing obstacles in your life on a regular basis, what do you need to do? You need to keep away. You need to not swipe right, but you need to swipe to the left. How about this Proverbs chapter 13 verse 20? He who walks with the wise is wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. Translation, swipe, left. Notice over and over again, and I could have went on with many scriptures, but the point is, sometimes in life, we have to block the access of certain people into our inner circle, and there's a reason for it, and we talked about it last week. By the way, if you weren't here last week, I want to encourage you to either get the message or go online and listen for free. The message was called The Hit Man named Delilah. And in in that message last week, we looked at the fact that the reason why we have to close the door to certain people in our lives is because we have a destiny. We are not here on accident. We are here on purpose. And we learned last week in passing the little phrase, destiny has a stalker. That just like God sends people into our life in order to have our destiny uh, advanced or succeed, the enemy sends people into our life to steal our destiny and to stalk our destiny. And, and, and we learned that the, the, the dest, destiny stalkers can be things, habits, and hang-ups, and issues, and problems, and attitudes, and all those kind of things. And we learned that it, it can be things, but it can also be, and often is, people. Just like God uses people to, to promote our destiny and to secure our destiny, the enemy uses people in order to, to destroy our destiny and to stalk our destiny. And um, the people that God sends into our lives to help us with our destiny, we can call them saints. But then there are other people who the enemy sends into our life. I like to call those kind of people serpents. And so both serpents and saints walk into our life both because of our destiny. One to help our destiny, one to hurt our destiny. How do you know when to swipe right and when to swipe left? How do you know which people to let in and which people to block out? How do you know? Wouldn't you like to know the answer to that question? How many would like to know the answer to that question? It's in the book, Sermon Over. I'll see you later. Just, just playing. I want to show you today, how do you recognize serpents? What are the characteristics of of people when they come into your life that you need to swipe to the left with? And then what is the serum solution if you've already been bit? What happens if you didn't know? What happens if you knew and you you allowed it anyway? You know, you knew that they were a serpent, but you, you thought you were going to fix them. Anybody, can I get a good amen? Right? What do you, what do you do if you got bit by a serpent? How do you recover? And so I want to give you some characteristics first of, of the kinds of relationships that you need to swipe to the left with. And by the way, just like poisonous snakes, have defining characteristics that let you know that they're poisonous. Did you know that, by the way? You can tell a poisonous snake. For instance, the shape of the head. If the head is, is, is triangular shaped, it's probably a poisonous snake. If the, they got pretty colors, 
You ever see snakes that got like real unusual colors, like bright yellow and bright red, you know? And, and you think because it's pretty, it's not poisonous. And so you go over, oh, how pretty. By the way, sometimes the prettier it is, the more poison it contains. Come on, somebody. The prettier it is, sometimes the more poison it contains, right? And then you can also tell a poisonous snake by looking into the eyes, right? The eyes of a poisonous snake are slit as opposed to rounded. And that's how you can tell it's poisonous. And so the eyes, you know, we know are the windows to the soul. And so just like poisonous snakes have defining characteristics that let us know that they're poisonous, poisonous people, serpents, have defining characteristics. And I want to give you just a few today. Number one, serpents use disguises. Genesis chapter 3, verse number 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast in the field which the Lord God had made. I want you to notice that the serpent was not Satan. Satan used the serpent to get to Eve. The serpent was not Satan. Satan used the serpent. He used the disguise of a serpent. You say, well, why would he use the disguise of a serpent? Because prior to the fall, Eve apparently was comfortable with snakes. Anybody comfortable with snakes? Man, that's, uh, snakes are nasty, man. I like, if I see a snake, I just, boom. Actually, there are studies done that most people, when given the opportunity to kill a snake, will kill a snake, right? Except if it's a snake in the form of a person. And most people won't kill that person. Most people let them into their lives. And, and so Eve was comfortable. And, and I'm thinking this is kind of peculiar, right? Because not only was she comfortable with the, with the snake or the serpent, but she was comfortable with a talking serpent. I mean, come on, somebody, right? It, 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 I mean, if you've seen a serpent who is talking, can I just give you a, a hint on what you should do? Run. Don't stay around. Don't figure it out. Don't, you know, shake your head and look again. Just run, figure it out what you saw later. And what if that serpent was walking upright? Because chances are that that serpent, because remember the curse of the serpent was that the serpent had to go on its belly. So that tells me that before the curse put upon the serpent, that the serpent was walking upright. Imagine a serpent coming onto you, walking upright and talking. Why would you want to have a conversation with that thing, right? Eve reminds me of one of those people. People in the murder movies, you ever seen the murder movies? 13 people just got knocked off, right? They just got killed. And there's like three people left, right? And they're all like huddling and they're, they're trying to figure out how they're going to escape. And then they hear a sound from outside or in the other room. And you always got one person that wants to go look. I'm like, no, 13 people just died. You don't go look. You run away from the thing that is going to kill you, you know? But Eve, she just, she just walked right up and had a conversation with the serpent. And here's the reason why. She didn't know that the serpent was harm, harmful because the serpent was using a disguise. And, and the scripture tells us over and over again that the enemy uses disguises. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 14. And no wonder, no wonder what? No wonder the enemy could, 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 could mess with us. No, no wonder the enemy can have access into our lives. No wonder, for Satan transforms himself into an angel of light. Transforms himself into an angel of light. In other words, serpents use disguises. They pretend to be things that they are not. They pretend to be educated and they're not. They pretend to have money and they don't. They pretend to have a good job and they don't. Ladies, can I tell you how many record producers are out there? No job, but they're a record producer, you know. Can I tell you how many are out there? Pretends to come from a godly family and does not. Pretends to have high morals and does not. Pretends to have your best interest in mind and, and does not. Pretends to love the Lord and does not. Well, I, where'd you meet him? Church. Just because they come to church don't mean they love the Lord. Matter of fact, the most wicked people are the people who come to church and don't love the Lord. Those are wicked people. Because they're really, really, they're really trying to pretend to be. And you know, wicked people come to church. I've pastored long enough to know wicked people come to church. Matter of fact, did you know that demons come to church? Yeah. I had one dude years ago. Um, he would come like every week for like six weeks straight. Every Sunday, every Wednesday. Uh, every time the doors, doors were open. and he, he seemed a little odd, but you know. It's not the healthy that need a physician, it's the sick. So I'm like, you know, all right, he's a little bit of a sicko, but come on, come on, you know, Jesus can touch you, you know. And, and after about six weeks, I come to church one morning, and he's waiting for me in the lobby. This, we weren't even in this church. And um, there were other people there, but he's waiting in the lobby, and he's dressed in all black. 
Now, I always dress in black. I like black. I don't have black on today. But, you know, but if he was like black caped, you know, black nail polish, black lipstick, black eyeshadow. You know, I know what a dude is doing with eyeshadow and lipstick to begin with, but he had it on, you know. And, 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 and like, you know, he, he had this real, like, you know, demonic vibe coming from him, you know. And I don't know whether he thought all the black was going to scare me or something like that. Like, I'm supposed to be afraid of the devil. The devil's supposed to be afraid of me. And so I, I just walked right up to him. I got in his personal space a little bit. I'm not normally a close talker, you know. I normally like to have a comfortable distance. I don't want to smell your breath when we're talking. But I got right up into his personal space. I wanted him to feel Jesus just a little bit. Just just in case he wasn't aware that Jesus was in the place, you know. And so I, I just got right up in his personal space, you know. He kind of ch- stepped back just a little bit, and I just did the close talker thing, and I just got a little, don't you hate that about close talkers? You try to step away, and they just get up close. It's like, yo, what do you think I'm stepping away for? Right? And, and so, so I, just, I just kept until he, until he didn't step away anymore. I got up real close to him, and then I asked him, I said, what's up, man? He said, the devil sent me here. He said, the devil sent me here to tell everybody they shouldn't go to a church like this. And I said, thank you for confessing that to me. I said, that encourages me so much because the devil ain't going to send nobody to a church that ain't doing nothing. I said, so at least I know we are. But then after I heard him talk, you know, I just, I put my nose right up on his nose, literally touching. Because like, we didn't have security back in the day, Big Mike. It wasn't like that. You know, now we got security. Don't mess with my man Mike right here. He'll just, he'll just take you right out, you know. And, and so we didn't have, I was security back in the day, you know, and I'm supposed to be, right? Because the Bible says, you know, that I'm supposed to protect the sheep, right? And run off the wolves and stuff like that. And so, and so I put my nose right up on his nose, touching like this. I don't know if he knew how to handle that, you know? And because the Bible talks about, you know, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places, right? And when it says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, literally the word wrestle means go face to face, eyeball to eyeball, and nose to nose. So that's why I did it, because I was just obeying the word. And I just put my nose right on his nose. I said, I'm going to do you a favor today. I said, I'm going to give you till I count to five a chance to get out of here. And then if you don't leave, and then I can't tell you how I finished the sentence. You're supposed to be a pastor. That's why I was running the devil off, because that's what pastors do. You just got you don't tolerate demonic activity in any place. He came to church for six weeks. Six weeks he was in church. That's why one of the things you have to do when you're dealing with somebody who wears a disguise is you gotta go slow. See, you, you cannot, you cannot put, that's why people want to walk into the church, you know, and all the fact they want to teach here and do this there and do that. That's fine. We want you to use your gifts and we want you to serve, but we got to go slow because we got to see whether it's a disguise or whether it's the real thing. Cause just because you say you love Jesus and just because you come to church doesn't mean you love Jesus and doesn't mean you have everybody's best interest at heart. We got to go slow enough, listen to me carefully, to see your fruit. Here, here's the, Here's the problem with most relationships. They go too fast that they miss the fruit or lack thereof. Don't, don't, don't make out on the first date. Please don't have sex on the first date. Matter of fact, you shouldn't have sex till you're married. Let's bring that back. Why? Because it blinds you, right? You can't see the fruit. Suddenly, you, you start getting involved in all of that. Immediately, you are blinded to what's happening. And so you no longer can see the fruit. So you need to slow down long enough to see what's going on. Slow down long enough to see if they really do love Jesus. How do you know if they really do love Jesus? They act like Jesus. They, they talk like Jesus. They, they can't fake being like Jesus. They have the values that Jesus has. They, 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 they want to they slow down. Don't go so fast. The problems with most relationships and why people get into problems and get into relationships with serpents is because they want to go fast for everything. We met yesterday. We're in love. We know this is the one that God has for me. Pastor, can you marry us tomorrow? No. I won't marry you if you ask me to, to marry you after you know somebody for 30 days. No. 
If you, if you just need somebody to perform a ceremony without somebody helping to steer you in the right direction, you can go to the justice of the peace for that. But I'm not putting my blessing on nothing that's only been together for 30 days. Gotta go slow. Take time to see the fruit. And if you see somebody wearing the disguise, what do you need to do? You need to swipe. That was okay. Let's try it again. You need to swipe. Better. Somebody in the first service beat me to it. They, when I was going like this, they said, swipe left. I said, no, on, on command. <laughs> Second thing you need to realize about serpents is serpents use deceit in an effort to target the mind. Right? It's not just to be deceitful. It's with a, with a purpose in mind. And the purpose is to target the mind. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 says, lest Satan should gain an advantage of us. Now, first of all, that tells me he starts at a disadvantage. Because otherwise it wouldn't say, lest he should gain an advantage. He starts at a disadvantage. Did you know that you've been given power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means harm you unless you've given him an advantage? How do you give him an advantage? Watch this. How does he get an advantage? For we are not ignorant of his devices. The word devices is the Greek word nomada. It means mind games. And notice the mind games that the serpent played with Eve. The serpent came to Eve and said, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? What was he doing? Trying to uh, throw out a little something to cause doubt that what, there was a problem with, with what God said. That with what, what God had said, I don't know why I'm getting tongue twisted on that. What God said, there was something wrong with it. And, and here's what the enemy does to play mind games. He uses what I call the tick method. Why do I call it the tick method? Because he wants to suck the blood out of you. Suck the life out of you. So here's the first way he does it. T, twists truth. Twist truth. Well, you know, the Bible says don't judge, so you shouldn't tell me that what I'm doing is wrong. This is the don't judge me generation. The people have other things. I call it the don't judge me generation. And what they mean by that is don't, don't take a stand on truth. You can love somebody and tell them they're wrong. Matter of fact, if you do love somebody, you should tell them that they're wrong. Right? Faithful, the Bible says, are the wounds of a friend. Why? Because sometimes we need somebody to tell us what time it is. Sometimes we need somebody to tell us straight about a particular situation. Right? And so people will twist the word. Well, you know, uh, the Bible says you're not supposed to judge, so don't tell me what I'm doing is wrong. Or I love Jesus even though I don't go to church. Please, how much can you really love Jesus if you don't go to church? How, how could you love Jesus and not want to be part of what Jesus said is his house, his bride, what he is building? How can we not want to listen to the word of God which says, do not forsake the assembling of yourself together and so much the more as you see the day approaching. If you think times are getting bad, that means you ought to be in church more, not church less. Hello. I'll give you pastors after my own heart, the Bible says. I've given you pastors, evangelists, prophets, apostles, and teachers for the perfecting of the saints until we all come into the unity of the faith. You cannot be as, as fully spiritually formed as you would otherwise be unless you're part of a local church. But, uh, you know, I love Jesus. I don't have to go twist, 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 twisting the truth, little grains of it in there. I know I keep doing that to you. I know I keep hurting you, but if you were a Christian, you'd keep forgiving me. Forgive, 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 forgive. Because you know the Bible says 70 times 7. I forgive you, but guess what I'm not? I'm not your doormat. I forgive you. And I release you. I forgive you and I swipe left. I forgive you, meaning I don't hold any ill will or harbor, or harbor any ill feelings in my life. I might even throw a prayer up for you every now and again that God does something in your life to turn you from the type of serpent you are into a saint of Almighty God. But that don't mean I have to be your doormat in my life. Twisting the truth. Twisting the truth. Right? Well, you know, the Bible's true. In some way, but it was, you know, was written a long time ago. It's kind of not relevant to our society anymore. And so, you know, I don't know if I believe all that stuff that it says in there. You know, if you're two consenting adults, it really should be okay to have sex before marriage. You know, 
I, I, you know, I, that's outdated. I mean, what's the, what's the harm in living together before you? Look at how quiet it got. See that? Whenever you deal, whenever you deal with the cultural mindsets, it gets real quiet. You know why? Because culture has gotten the church scared. Because you're afraid if you stand up for truth. Oh, I'm preaching real good right now. Listen close right here. Wherever you're watching from, listen close. Because when if you say the truth, you're afraid that somebody is going to call you a name. Somebody's going to say you're intolerant. Somebody's going to say this about you or that about you or the other thing about you. You know what? I'll have a meal with somebody that I don't agree with at all. I'll have a meal with somebody who's steeped up straight in sin. But I'm not going to sit there and tell them, yes, yeah, okay, yes, yeah, okay, yes, yeah, okay, yes, yeah, okay, yes, yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. You know what? I'm going to be the light that sheds some light on their darkness so that they they can get free. <laughs> twisting the truth. Twisting the tick method. T, twist the truth. I, subtle innuendo. Notice what the devil did. He said, did God really say? Did God really say? As if to cast some doubt on what Adam and Eve knew were true. Right? That, that serpent will come into your life. Start casting doubt on what you know is right and know is wrong. Right? All of a sudden you'll be all twisted about that particular thing and you, you don't, you don't know right and wrong anymore and you know, you start calling wrong right. The Bible says, woe be it to those who call wrong right. That's why I'm not going with culture. I'm staying with Christ. He's the Christ of culture. I'm not gonna let culture define my right and wrong. I'm sticking with the Word of God. Subtle innuendo about stuff that you thought was right to try to persuade you otherwise. And here's the one I love the best. Here's the tick method to the, to the nth degree. Confident lies. Notice what the serpent said to Eve. God knows that, that when you eat of the tree, you're going to be like him. Confident, bold, right? As if, oh, man, you're crazy. That's not the reason why. Absolute assurance that what they are telling you is the 100% truth. Here's what serpents do. You just saw something, but they talk to you so confidently, you begin to question that you really saw it. You just heard something, and, and they, be, they say it so, so matter of fact, like that's not what actually was said, that you begin, and all of a sudden you think you're crazy. You think you're going out of your mind. Did, did I really see it? Did that really, really happen? Because you think nobody can lie like, with a straight face like that. Nobody can lie without a blink like that. How is that even possible? The tick Some of y'all shaking your head like that. You know what I'm talking about, right? You know how them serpents just work. They just start spitting them lies with a straight face the whole time. And you know what you need to do whenever you see somebody who's acting like that, who's targeting the mind with my, you need to swipe. Oh, that was like pathetic. Swipe. That's what I'm talking about. Number three, third characteristic. Serpents drag us away from God through temptation. Watch this. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave it to her husband with her and he ate. Notice he bypassed now the head which had been distorted. By the way, the only thing, the only way you can do things that you know are wrong is first to mess with your, with your head. And then once your head is messed up, now that your head is messed up, now that your soul is not strong, your flesh becomes that much stronger. When your soul is weak, your flesh is strong. When your soul is strong, your flesh is weak. That's why the Bible teaches us that we got to feed our inner man, right? Because our inner man, in order to walk in victory, has to be stronger than our outer man. It's got to dominate our flesh. It's got to be able to beat our flesh. It's got to be able to subdue our flesh. But when the mind is weak, the flesh becomes strong. And then all of a sudden, the enemy drags us away from God with things that appeal to the flesh. She saw that it was good. It looked good. It, it smelled good. It, it had good. It seemed to promise good results. And as a result of that, they fell into the temptation. Whenever you see yourself falling into temptation and falling away from God because of the, uh, the temptations brought into your life by another person, it's a serpent. Number four, certain serpents destroy who you really are. Certains destroy who you really are. Genesis 3, 7 says, Then the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Notice what happened. They're, they're, they, they destroyed who they were. They, their innocence was lost. Suddenly they begin to feel shame and guilt. Shame and guilt, shame and guilt over their actions. And, and by the way, when, whenever you're feeling shame and guilt in your life, the chances are you're doing something that is not pleasing to God. 
right? And so it, it begins to destroy their innocence. They never felt shame before. They never felt guilt before. Destroyed their innocence. Destroyed their healthy relationships. What happened when they sowed fig leaves over, over themselves? They would distance from one another. No longer did they want to be intimate with one another. And then God comes looking in the cool of the day for them. Where are you? Their relationship with God was destroyed. And so when you see all your healthy relationships being destroyed, the attempt is to destroy who you are. That's what serpents do. And then notice the third thing, destroyed their sense of responsibility. God comes looking, can't find them. Actually, he could, but, you know, they weren't at their usual spot. And God said, what did y'all do? Did y'all do what I said don't do? And Adam said, she made me do it. And Eve said it was the devil's fault, right? Listen, here's the point. When you start losing your sense of responsibility, when you start excusing things that you otherwise wouldn't excuse, it's a sign that you are losing yourself. And it's an attempt of the serpent to strip you of everything you have. And then the last thing that happened to them is all their blessings were destroyed, right? All of a sudden, Eve, she had to give pain. She had to have pain in childbearing. Ladies, tell me you wouldn't love the blessing of no pain in childbearing. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Just pop the kid out. Poop. There it is, right? Wouldn't that be wonderful? But that's not the way it is. Why? It was a consequence, right? Adam, you had to work hard. Guys, wouldn't you love not to sweat when you work, man? Dig a ditch without sweating. Wouldn't even have to dig a ditch, man. It wasn't even a part of it. All of a sudden, they had to. And they got kicked out of the garden. All the things that they were supposed to have. But when things begin to get teared away from your life, what's it trying to strip you of who you are, your identity, everything that, that God intends for your life? You're dealing with a serpent. And whenever you see any of these things in your life, whenever you see them all disguises and mind manipulation and all these things that we talked about, what do you need to do? You need to swipe left. Pastor, but I didn't. I should have, but I didn't. I got bit. What do I do now, Pastor? How do I recover from a snake bite? I want to give you what I call the serum solution. A couple quick things. How do you recover from a snake bite? How do you begin to walk in your destiny again? And I'm going to start just real easy and just build to something that things are a little bit deeper. Number one, you need to stick with the word. Notice in Genesis 2 what God says. God says, he commands the man saying, of every tree in the garden you may freely eat. Everybody say freely. Freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you'll die. Watch what Eve said God said. By the way, one of the things that I believe when we get to heaven, God is going to ask almost every single one of us is he's going to go, you said I said what? You said I said what? That's why i got to be very careful to say God said. Because I'm going to be held even to a higher standard, right? So you don't hear me say all the time, I heard God say, I heard God say. Because I don't want to get before God. God said, you said I said what? Listen to what God said. He said, and the, uh, uh, well, listen to what Eve said after what God said. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Notice what she left out. She left out that God said you may freely eat. And she added, and you can't touch it. And so by leaving out freely eat, what she did is she forgot because she didn't stick with the word. This is the first anti-venom, the first thing, stick with the word. She didn't stay with what God said, and she forgot that God was a generous giver. She forgot that God had given them everything freely. You can, you can have it all. Come and freely eat everything. And she added it or touch it. And so she focused on a God that was a miser instead of a God that was a generous giver. And whenever you alter the word, whenever you stray away from the word, what happens is you become susceptible to a serpent. So you need to stick with the word. Whatever you do, whatever you hear, whatever you're confused about, don't go asking people, go to God's word. Find it in the scripture. When you stick with the word of God and measure everything by it, it becomes a light onto your feet and a lamp onto your path. It exposes the twisting, it unmasks the innuendos, and it will counter the confident lies of the enemy. You are at your strongest when you stick with the word. Matter of fact, listen to me. No devil in hell will stay in the company of somebody that sticks with the word. Watch this. I'll prove it to you. Jesus is in the wilderness. The snake came to try to 
steal his destiny. That's why he was tempted in the wilderness, to stop him from going to the cross. Same reason why Jesus is tempted is the same reason why we're tempted. Same reason why snakes slithered into Jesus' life. Same reason why they slither into our life, to stop us from our destiny. And what did the devil do? He quoted scripture. He didn't even misquote it, but he still twisted it. So you missed that. You don't have to misquote scripture to twist scripture. If you lift it out of context... You have twisted it. And one of the things he said is he said, why don't you throw yourself down? The word of God says, the scripture says that he'll give his angels charge over you lest you dash your foot against the stone. What was he doing? He was twisting it, but even though he was quoting it right because he was taking it out of context. What was Jesus' response? It is written. It is written. What was he doing? He was sticking to the word, sticking to the word. The devil didn't quit right away. He came back with another twist of scripture. What did Jesus do? He said, it is written. He came back a third time. It is written. It is written. And after three times of Jesus sticking with the standard of the word of God, do you know what the Bible says? It said the devil left him. He didn't even have to swipe left. The devil will not stay. And when somebody holds up the standard of the word of God, how is it they'll ask? Every time I say something, you always say the Bible says. How come whenever I say, you know, why don't we get jiggy with it? And you say, well, the Bible don't say that. I, I don't want to do that. How is it that every time every time something comes up, well, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. You know, you're getting me sick of all this. Bible says, Bible says, Bible says. I don't want to be around you anymore. Good. Let the doorknob hit you where the good Lord split you. See you later. If you will hold up the standard of the word of God, the people who are not supposed to be in your life will not stay in your life. They can't stand being held to the standard of the word of God. You've got to stick with the word. Number two, you've got to strengthen your self-image. What do serpents do? They, they, they cause you to lose yourself. Question yourself. Look down upon yourself. Notice what happened. Genesis chapter 3 verse 4. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And watch this. And you will be like God, knowing good from evil. I read that I'm like, how'd they fall for that? You'll be like God. Genesis one twenty six says, God called the counsel among himself. He said, let us counsel among himself, God the Father. Some people want to know, well, who is God talking to? He was talking to himself. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Called them together. He said, let's have a talk. He said, I got an idea. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. When Adam and Eve were created, guess, what, guess who they were like? God. Satan comes along and says, he says, God's holding out on you. He knows that when you eat, you're going to be like him. Adam and Eve should have said, what are you talking about, Willis? Some of y'all don't know nothing about that, right? So what's he talking about? Some of the people under 21 going, huh? What did he just say? Old people jokes. And we're already like God. What do you mean we're going to be like God? They were already as much like God as they were ever going to be. They were little gods. Y'all got nervous when I said little gods, right? Don't get nervous. You call yourself little Jesuses all the time. Say, what do you mean, Pastor? How many have ever referred to themselves as a Christian? Can I see your hand? You refer to yourself as a Christian? You know what you mean when you say you're a Christian? You're like Jesus. Don't be like Mike, be like Jesus. That was for the younger people right there. Don't be like Mike, be like Jesus. Jesus. You're so much like Jesus. Don't get nervous. You should be like Jesus. Have you seen my son running around here? Everybody always tells me, he looks just like you. He's like a mini you. They'll say, he's like a mini you. He's like a mini you. Now, what they don't mean, they don't mean he's me. They don't mean I'm him. But they mean there's so much of me in him that he's a mini me. You know what? That's a compliment to say that you are like Jesus, that you are a mini God, that you're a mini Jesus. There should be so much like, you should be so much like Jesus that you should say, you know, when people see you, that's Jesus right there. That's a chip off the old block. The apple doesn't fall far from the teeth. So much like Jesus. But they forgot who they were. Because they dealt with a serpent. And whenever you deal with a serpent, you will forget who you are. 
And because you forget who you are, you will try to be something that you don't need to aspire to. You already are at the highest place of creation that you can ever be. You are made in the image and likeness of God. That means that you look like God. You're not amazing. Anybody ever get concerned about how they look? Can I tell you, you look like God? Somebody asked me one time, Pastor, what does God look like? I said, So what do you mean? I said, yeah, the Bible said, created his image and in his likeness, right? And they didn't know that. And so what happened is, is they began to try to, to try to become something that they weren't. You need to understand. You need to reclaim who you are. You're not trash. You're not a doormat. You're not a meal ticket. You're not a piece of meat. You're not ugly. You're not stupid. You're not unwanted. You're not used. You're not unloved. You're worth more than lies. You're worth more than being talked down to and being manipulated and denigrated. You're more worth more than being constantly embarrassed or publicly and privately ridiculed. You are worth more than that. Why? Because you truly are the high point, the crown jewel of God's creation. That's really who you are. You really are the apple of God's eye. It's not just a Christian statement. You are a workmanship. You are a masterpiece, an heir and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. When the Bible says you are above only and never beneath, it's not lying. When it says you are the head and not the tail, it is telling the truth. God loves you that much. You are a chip off of the old block. You don't need to be denigrated and pulled down. You're already as high as you can be. Reclaim your self-image. How do you reclaim your self-image? See yourself through God's eyes. Now, number three, this is where we're going to get into some deep stuff. If, if the person next to you has been sleeping the whole time, hit them like this. Say, say, time to, time to listen up. This is the good stuff. Number three, if you're going to get the serum solution, you need to shatter the soul tie. What's a soul tie? Some of you probably never even heard the term. It's when your soul becomes linked in some way to the soul of another person. When God created Adam and Eve, the first thing that Adam said is, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of me. And then God said, for this reason shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined or cleaved to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. Now, this word cleave or joint has, has, has a layered meaning. First of all, the simplicity meaning, it means that they'll have sex together. Notice right off the bat, when God instituted sex, he put it in the right context. Right off the bat, God said sex is to be used between one man, one woman in the confines of marriage. But, but here's why. It's because um, this cleave is deeper than just an outward thing. And how many of you know sex is deeper than an outward thing? Sex is the transference of what's in your heart. And this is why that God wants sex inside of, 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 of his context because there are good soul ties and bad soul ties. A good soul tie is when your soul is knit to the soul of your spouse. And, and that is often created, one of the ways that soul ties are created is through sex. And this is why so many people are free from people that they have been involved in, but are still uh, doing the same wrong things over and over again, is because there was a soul tie that was transmitted during the sex. And if you don't think that stuff can be transmitted on the inside during sex, how many of you know you can transmit venereal disease? You can also transmit what's in your spirit. Soul ties can be both good and bad. They transfer all different co sorts of things, My, uh, uh, ways of thinking, mindsets, beliefs, problems, struggles, uh, joys, all that kind of, they, that's transferred in the soul tie. In a marriage relationship, that's important. That's what God wants. The reason why God wants you to wait until you're married in order to have sex with somebody is because one of the strongest soul ties that are created is the soul tie to your first person you have sex with. That's why it was so hard for you to break up with that first person. That's why the more you have sex with somebody, the easier it is to break up with the people that you continue to have sex with. That's why by the time some people get married, divorce is easy. Simple. 
They already ripped their spirit apart from several other people. So now it's easy for me to walk away from you. God wanted that to be some of the glue that held you together. Not just the physical glue, but the emotional glue. And so there are some soul ties that are powerful. Some soul ties that God wants to be there. Some soul ties that God has ordained between a husband and a wife and between us and God. Those were the soul ties that Adam and Eve had with one another. But then there are other soul ties which are bad. Not good. A soul tie to a serpent. When Adam and Eve sinned, their, their soul tie to God and to each other was weakened because they entered into a covenant with a serpent. And as a result of entering into the covenant with the serpent, they, they created a bad soul tie. And, and the word soul tie, when you define it, can mean literally a mindset that attaches you to somebody. Or another, word, another definition of the word tie is a mindset that restricts freedom and keeps you bound. Soul tie, attached to somebody or bound to somebody. One is good, one is bad. They made a soul tie with the enemy. And when they made a soul tie with the enemy, did you notice what started to happen? They started to do things that they would have never done before. They hid from God. That was the first time they ever did that. Soul ties will warp you so much that you'll begin to behave like you've never behaved before because you've got a soul tie. And what soul ties really do, and here's where most people struggle is, some of you have been going around the same mountain long enough and you don't know why you can't get victory over it. You're in what I call a groundhog cycle. You know what a groundhog cycle is? You know what groundhog day is, right? What's the dude's name? The, the, what's he called? Was he a beaver? What is, what is he? Groundhog. Groundhog. What's he called? Punks, Punxsutawney. Somebody in the first service said, Punxsutawney Phil. I said, you made him Italian. I like him better now. Right? Groundhog Day is not just when, you, when the groundhog comes out and sees his shadow or doesn't. Groundhog Day is when you continue to repeat the same cycles in your life over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And you've been free from the relationship that created the soul tie, but you keep repeating the cycle. And so you keep dating the same type of person. My God, this is, I would be taking notes on myself right now. I don't understand why you are not writing stuff down. Pastor, I don't understand. I prayed about this. I keep doing it over and over and over again. And I, I prayed and, and I even prayed in tongues over it, Pastor. You know, and I, I came forward to the altar and I prayed over it, Pastor. But it seems like it just gets better for a season and then I'm right back to the same stuff again. And by talking to anybody, you're caught in a cycle. And the reason why you're caught in a cycle and you don't even know it is because somewhere along the line, you picked up a soul tie. And that soul tie, in order for you to be set free, and that soul tie, in order for you to walk in victory, must be severed. And so how do you sever the soul tie? How do you sever the soul tie? Number one, you got to get the gift of goodbye. I said the gift of goodbye. You know what that is? That's when you, 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 you understand. You actually get joy in swiping. See, the gift of goodbye. You got to get it in your life. You got to realize that it is perfectly okay to say no to allowing certain people access into your life. It is the smartest thing that you can ever do. Matter of fact, that some of the greatest celebrations you ought to have in life is when somebody leaves your life. That's some of the great. You didn't celebrate good times. Come on. People, some people come up to me and say, well, we want to go to another church because we're not getting fed anymore. I'm like, bye. Celebrate good times. Come on. Celebrate. Why? Now I, got, I don't have any cancer in the church anymore. I don't have somebody else going to somebody else saying, you know, hey, by the way, do, do you really think they're getting fed still? Bye. I got that gift, man. I got that gift. Now, there's a right way. When people leave a church the right way, that's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes God calls people to different places and so on and so forth. I got no problem with that. And they do it the right way and respectfully. We love them and doors always open and all that kind of jazz. And, you know, but, but yet the one people, they, they want to cause trouble on the way. I'm like, bye. You got to get that gift in your life. But the gift of goodbye is not just getting rid of the physical things, right? It's, and, and by the way, when you have the gift of goodbye, it's more than severing the relationship. It's cutting off access to the garden. Say, so what do you mean, Pastor? Well, listen, listen, listen to Scripture. 
Genesis uh, 3, verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand out and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Here's my question for you. Why did God kick Adam and Eve out of the garden? Most people think it was punishment. It was protection. Why? God didn't want them to stay that way. If you say stuck or attached to the person in any way that, that created the soul tie, you will remain that way. You will get stuck in a cycle. And so what do you need to do? You don't need to just sever any relationship with the person. You need to sever any touch, physical touch with that person or anything that came from that person. So if they give, gave you jewelry, hock it at the pawn shop and get you some money. Don't give the ring back. Go get you a couple of grand and put it in your pocket because I'm sure they stole all kinds of money from you in the process. Rip them pictures up. Burn them clothes. Do whatever you need. Take off them posts. Go back. I mean, delete your whole history. Turn your, matter of fact, if they touched your Facebook, turn it off and start a new one. Get your new cell phone number. Why? They touched that phone. Turn it off. To anything that has any connection, get out of the garden. Stop all physical connection. Cut the soul tie at the roots. Now, this is, how you, this is how you deal with the physical stuff. But, but soul ties are spiritual. It's easy to get rid of physical things. Anybody ever lose weight? Anybody ever gain it back? Anybody ever lose weight and gain it back more than once? More than twice? More than ten times? You know why? Easy to get, stuff, get rid of physical things. Hard to get rid of spiritual things. Because the 30 pounds that keeps coming back, 37, uh, I'm not talking about myself. <laughs> that 37 pounds that keeps coming back, it's not a physical thing. It's, it's a spiritual thing. How do you get rid of the soul ties from a spiritual uh, place? Number one, you have to confess it. You have to confess it. You have to go to God and you have to you call it what it is. God, I, I, keep, I keep doing the same thing over and over again, God. It, you can't sever a soul tie that you don't see. And you can't see it unless you acknowledge it. You know the whole AA thing? You have to go in there. You have to acknowledge that you have a, a problem with alcohol. If you keep repeating the same cycle over and over again, it's time to confess it. It's time to call it out. God, I got a problem here. God, I keep going around the same mountain over and over again. And here's the good news. When you confess it, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Matter of fact, did you know why Jesus went to the cross? He went to the cross. Isaiah chapter 53, verse number five says he was, and I forget whether it's which way it is, but you'll get the point. He was bruised for our transgressions and wounded for our iniquities. But I thought transgressions and iniquities were the same thing. They're not. Transgression is the stuff that you do that you know is wrong that you can stop. Iniquity is the cycle. It's the stuff that gets transferred. It's the stuff that gets passed down. The iniquity is passed down from the father to one generation to the next. It's the cycle that keeps going. And you can get stuck in a cycle not just from a romantic relationship, from a friendship, from a parent relationship, all sorts of ways that cycles are created. But here's the good news. Jesus didn't just go to the cross for our sins. Jesus went to the cross for our cycles. And when you confess it, you start the salvation process of breaking free from from that cycle in your life. Number one, confess it. Number two, condemn it. Number two, condemn it. This, this service is taking longer for me to get through this information than other services. You must have needed it more. <laughs> Number two, you need to condemn it. It's not enough to just confess it. You need to call it what it is. Stop excusing it. The first time you were in the bad relationship, you got sucked in. The second, third, fourth, fifth, 
You're in a cycle. You need to start calling it what it is. And you know what you need to do? You need to condemn that thing. Because unless you condemn that thing, that cycle is going to keep going on. Listen to the scripture that we quote all the time. Isaiah 54 verse 17. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. It's one of our favorite scriptures. We love it. But we think it means if you're a Christian, no weapon formed against you will prosper. That's not what it says. It says in every lying tongue that rises up in judgment against you, you shall condemn. You need to call it what it is. God is not going to automatically do it. You need to partner with God. When you call it what it is, that's when the power of God begins to move into your life. Because when you begin to speak out what your situation really is, what it does is it adjusts your mindset. And your mindset is where the stronghold is. But the weapons of our warfare, the scripture says, are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, demolishing every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. How do you demolish it? You condemn it. You call it what it is, and your mind begins to change. Condemn it. Condemn it. And then number three, you need to correct it. Your mind has been affected when you're in a relationship with a serpent. How do you correct it? You go right back to that word again. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit. What does it do? It renews your mind. It pierces through all the garbage and it begins to set up shop once again in your soul. And Your mind begins to get washed and your mind begins to get renewed so that you can prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Confusion is cast out. You got to go back to the word of God and you got to be, begin to wash your mind and wash your mind and wash your mind. Stay out of culture but wash your mind. Stay off the news and wash your mind. Stay out of talking to your friends about what's right and wrong and wash your mind. Go to the word of God. Correct it. Correct the thinking. And when you do these things, what you begin to do is you begin to sever the soul tie. Can I give you one final thing real quick? I promise it'll be quick. Can I give it to you? I was going to do it anyway. Last thing I want to give you, because I think that this is where the hope is. This is where the victory is. If you are going to recover from a snake bite, if you're going to swipe left with toxic people, you need to see yourself as a serum. See yourself as a serum. What do you mean, Pastor? How many of you know that the way you get cured of a snake bite is they got to put a little poison on the inside of you? Because the serum is made from the same stuff as the poison. I said the serum is made from the same stuff as the poison. Listen, 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 listen. In order for Jesus to deliver us from sin... Jesus had to become sin. Why? Because the serum is made from the same stuff as the poison. In order for the children of Israel to be healed of the snake bites when they were wandering to the wilderness, Moses had to beat some brass into a serpent and hold up a serpent on, the snake, uh, on a stick. And when they looked at the snake, they were healed of the snake bite. Why? Because the serum is made from the same stuff as the poison. Of course, that beaten brass was symbolic of Jesus becoming sin so that he can deliver us from sin because the serum is made from the same stuff as the poison. How did sin enter into to the world. Sin passed into the world and on all by a man and through a man called Adam. And so Jesus had to become a man in order to deliver us from sin. Why? Because the serum is made from the same stuff as the poison. Who is the first one who was deceived? Her name was Eve. And because a woman was deceived, guess what a woman had to do? A woman had to conceive from the Holy Spirit because a serum is made from the same stuff stuff as the poison. Jonah was a disobedient prophet, so God picked a disobedient man to preach to a disobedient nation because the serum comes from the same stuff as the poison. The apostle Paul was bit by a snake on an island that he was shipwrecked from. He was supposed to die, but the snake bite caused a revival on the island. Why? Because the serum
serum comes from the same stuff as the poison. The one that persecuted the church was the one chosen to establish the church. Why? The serum comes from the same stuff as the poison. Peter doubted Christ. He denied him, but he was also picked to to deliver the inaugural address on the day of Pentecost. Why? Because the serum comes from the same stuff as the poison. Say, what you, what you talking about, pastor? What you talking about? Listen carefully. If you survived it, you're a serum. Oh, man. If I was you, I'd have been up on my feet right there. If you survived it, you're a serum. See, see, here's the beauty of God. That's why we can say with such confidence that what the devil meant for evil, God turned around for good. That's why we can say with such confidence that he works all things together for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. You made it through, and the reason why you made it through is because now you have a little on the inside of you in order to be a serum from somebody else that's gotten bit by a snake bite. You made it to the other side so that God can turn you into a serum. There is no wasted pain with God. Every snake bite in your life was meant to be a serum for somebody else.